Forgotten Cinema is getting romantic for our eighth season and just in time for Valentine's Day as we cover the 90s ensemble drama, Beautiful Girls. We'll then do a complete 180 as we dive into some spy films, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Spy Game. We'll find out why white men can't jump and whether you should shoot to kill while enjoying a Frankenweenie. Nope, that doesn't make any sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? This season will also feature our 100th episode of Forgotten Cinema. Feels like 100 years. Don't I know it. Forgotten Cinema. Never stop, never stopping. Yes, that's a hint. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week, we review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course, our fellow podcasters. Check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. Follow us on the socials at nomcastpod. And most importantly, listen and subscribe to us wherever you get podcasts. Hit that beat one time. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where every week we journey to a galaxy far, far away and discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. We'll talk about how our relationship with the franchise has changed over time, how the films build on each other, and form our understanding of the Force. At the end, we'll provide some recommendations for other materials you may enjoy if you also love these stories as much as we do. This week, we're jumping into the Millennium Falcon and discussing that one that started it all, Episode 4, A New Hope, or Star Wars, if we want to go original. Anders, Daniel, you guys ready to lock those S-foils into attack position? You know it. Red 3, standing by. Cut the chatter, Red 3. No, never. Thanks forever. Let's start the attack run. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's jump right in here um, with just a little bit of background on the film itself. Star Wars originally opened on May 25th, 1977, and I didn't realize how many times this thing has actually been in theaters until I started doing some research for this episode. So it was re-released in theaters in 1978, 1979, 1981, which is the first time it got that subtitle, A New Hope, uh, and again in 1982. Then, very famously, it was remastered digitally and re-released in 1997 as the special edition. One of the biggest things that's incredible to me about this movie is how cheaply it was ultimately made. So the original budget was $11 million, which translates to about $46 million in 2019. I mean, could yeah. you guys imagine like an Avengers movie <laughs> being no. made for $46 million? Absolutely yeah. not. Not even a little bit. That would be like a laugh in the face situation. Yeah. So. On that $11 million, it made $220 million in its original theatrical run, uh, about $410 million globally, $775 million in total when you combine all of the theatrical releases, which ultimately translates in 2019 to $2.5 billion My in word. box office money. Good job, George. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you have a good idea, you have a good idea. Exactly. Uh, it was written and directed by George Lucas. It was also edited by Paul Hurst, Richard Chu, and Marsha Lucas. And Daniel, yes. you found this really interesting yes. little video doc. Um, yeah, it's like a 20-minute documentary, and they talk about how Marsha Lucas, uh, with the rest of the editors, really kind of helped shape the vision. George had yeah. the idea 
And um, not to get ahead of ourselves in in the movie, but she helped influence the idea of the Death Star coming to the Yavin 4 base. Uh, That was something that she brought to the table. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah, she decided to kill off Obi-Wan too. Yes. The idea that that wasn't like in the original script is just mind boggling. George does best when he works with a team, I think, because he has a great, he's an idea man. He has great ideas. He was influenced by like Flash Gordon and Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thousand Faces. So he has great bones to his work, but I think he really needs this kind of team behind him to shape it. It's true. Which is exactly. why this movie he, turned out so well. And he's always he willing. He thrives with the team. Yeah. And he's always willing to push the envelope in any way he can. I, I don't think it was the absolute, you know, first example of it, but using a lot of those old dogfight films, basically for what we now know today as previs. Yeah. To choreograph some of those fight scenes just incredible but again when i was kind of doing a little bit of research on this and i found all the theatrical releases i mean this movie has famously had several quote-unquote versions i didn't realize there are upwards of 10 released versions of this movie floating around out there now that includes a lot several of those pretty much include a lot of the times for those theatrical releases they were updating the audio to be the newest version of the time. So just kind of remastering those, pausing a little bit, making extremely minor tweaks. Then we had the 1997 mm, 20th yes. anniversary special editions. What about you? What was the original version that you saw? What, the first ones that you guys saw? Uh, so the first one I saw was the digitally mastered original. So that was the 95 VHS release. So it was like the very last one before they put all the special edition uh, changes in. Mm-hmm. So I got to see pretty much as close as the theatrical release as you could get back in that day. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Anders, what one did you see? Uh, I, I'm guessing it was probably that same one. It might have been one from a couple of years earlier. I know I saw it before the, the special editions came out. I had seen it. I was aware of Star Wars. I liked it a lot. It was really cool. I mean, I was like six or seven at the time. Mm-hmm. And then when I was like nine, I saw the special editions in theaters. That was my first theatrical experience. And um, for the purposes of this rewatch, I just did the version that's on Disney Plus, which mm-hmm. is the absolute latest one, I believe, unless yes. he's come out with another one in the last like six <laughs> McClunky. months. It's possible. <laughs> I love McClunky. McClunky is my favorite word of all time. Anders is going to ride or die for McClunky. <laughs> it's it's oh grown gosh. on me. Exactly. I mean, it's funny. I, I wish the word is just, funny. <laughs> the word is very funny. I will give them that. Um, I'm older than you guys. So I saw these when I was like seven or eight from the 1990 VHS copies that my brother still has. So yes, nice. he still has a v- VCR and we can watch them when we want. Well, so I'm we so can jealous. see like kind of the original version. Still like remastered for sound and stuff, but yeah. we get the the good scenes. So Colleen, just uh, looking at your uh, eyes whenever we bring up the '97 <laughs> editions, let's get. So, what are you, what are your thoughts on the ultimate edits, the additions that have been made to this mm. over time? It's a monstrosity, Anders. <laughs> Some parts are fine. Like yes, fix the effects if you want to. That's fine. Um, but it was a masterpiece, George. Leave it alone. Like, you don't have to tweak your masterpiece every single time. Like, the editing has been done. Just stop. Han shoots first. I mean, first is relative because Greedo doesn't get to shoot when Han kills him. It makes him more of a compelling character. I know George didn't want him to come off as a bad guy, but he's not a quote-unquote nice man yet, George. This is fine. He should be the one that shoots first. And the Jabba scene is unforgivable. 
Jabba is like basically a hut nobleman. Like he is high up on the hut ladder. He is a terrifying force in the galaxy. He would have killed Han for stepping on him, let alone talking to him that way. Like, no, he's not some like small time gangster. He's a big deal. I mean, I'll definitely give I'll give you the step on the tail. Like that is a little ridiculous. I do credit the special editions with starting my love for special features on things because I had mm-hmm. the special edition VHSs and they had those like 10 minute featurettes mm-hmm. before each one that would describe the changes and you got to see a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. And I mean, I can understand their thinking when they figured out that Han walks behind Jabba and when they had originally shot the scene, Jabba wasn't a slug yet. So they had to come up with something. <laughs> Right. But I agree. That particular thing is silly. Other than that, I don't really have a problem with that scene. I just, I think it's a fine scene to put Jabba the Hutt there. I don't think Jabba would go there. From what he's established later on, I don't think he would go there. He sends flunkies. He doesn't go. Mm -hmm. So that just doesn't fit. uh, you, You make a good point there. From what we see of Jabba in Return of the Jedi, he just does not seem like the kind of guy who's, I'm going to go leave my palace with my cadre of hired goons to right. go talk to one smuggler. It just, it feels so yeah. separate from the Jabba that we get in episode six. Um, I didn't see that scene until about two years ago because I had mm-hmm. never seen that wow. until, yeah. Yeah, so that it's scene fine. is very new to me <laughs> and it's very confusing for me. So I Harrison Ford looks great. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Always. And seeing Boba Fett is cool. Like, oh, he's there. Like, this is fun to see that he's already established as one of Jabba's guys. Mm -hmm. But they should have had Bib Fortuna be there instead. That would be cool. That would have been good. I love Bib Fortuna. And Han could totally have, like, shoulder crushed, like, (laughs) pushed him out of the way. And that would have been fun. (laughs) That would have been perfect. Yeah. Oh, um, I'd say for the most part, the the edits in the special edition don't bother me. Um, Mm -hmm. Watching it over the weekend for the rewatch on Disney plus was one of the first times that I have like a full watch through of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, okay, these look pretty good. Like, especially the X wings coming around mm-hmm. Yavin and that looks amazing. Yep. Um, the kind of the stuff that bothered me, the one big one that stands out besides Jabba is when they were coming into most Eisley in the uh, speeder. And it just, you got someone messing with his mount, the little reptilian yeah. long neck giraffe looking thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just, yeah. It's, that's a little goofy. Everything little else, cheesy. I'm like, this isn't too bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that scene from the original re-release where they just added kind of the wide shot and they had populated it kind of for the first time. And then the, when I saw it this time, I realized how much they had actually added even after that. They've added stuff in the last like year mm-hmm. to more populate that background. So yes, Han shot first. Ultimately, I don't really care about whether or not Han shot first. I care about the fact that when they made that change to make Greedo shoot first, it just looked clunky. It looks really like, bad. It, it like it, that does. freeze frame of Han, it, you can just tell that there's something <laughs> going on there. And then when they smoothed it out a little bit, but then when they even added McClunky, again, I'm ride or die for the word, but like it just makes it feel more rushed and weird. And it, the energy for the yeah. whole thing just kind of gets weird for me. Right. It doesn't gel. I mean, the I love that they added the Biggs scenes later because Biggs Darklighter is yes. awesome. <laughs> and I wanted to see his relationship with Luke because when they're fighting, it's obviously know each other. Yeah. And then having that little extra background was cool. And then to know that this is like Luke's best friend for real best friend. And he is there when he dies. It's just like, <laughs> so that addition I liked. I liked that. Though Luke does not have much of a reaction to that at all. I think he's adrenaline high at that point. 
Yeah. He's in the moment. He's he's getting ready. He's connecting to the Although force. We'll that talk, about talk about that those moments a little bit later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yes. So we've kind of talked about how we've seen different versions of the movie, but how is like I mean, this is one of the most beloved movies in the world of all time. It's one of the most iconic things out there. So Daniel, how's your relationship with this movie kind of evolved over time from seeing it when you were so little to now? So I saw all of them when I was six years old, back to back to back. And so I've grown up with just all of them continuously. And I got to say, it's probably my least rewatched. And when I say it's my least favorite of the original trilogy, I'm saying that by such fine margins with all of them. Like, I absolutely love them. Um, but I think some of the Luke Vader relationships in the later movies are more compelling to me than what we get in this one. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's I, I say it's my least favorite of the original trilogy, but it's like an old sweater that you still love to put <laughs> on. Like, it's very comfortable. It makes me it makes me feel good just to sit down and watch it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I, I absolutely love it, but it's got my least favorite lightsaber scene of all of them. I'm sorry, Obi-Wan and Vader. Um, and that's so hard because Alec Guinness actually could fight. Oh, he could. That's a shame. I, I was surprised on my rewatch this time, actually, at how much better that fight was than I was thinking. I hadn't watched I hadn't watched this movie like you all the way through in a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I was surprised at actually the amount of energy that they did have in that scene. I remember it being this kind of like mm-hmm. slow and obviously we compare it to the stuff that we get in later movies with much younger people who aren't robots. Right. Yeah, actually, Obi-Wan started reminding me I used to fence when I was mm-hmm. for a couple of years in high school and I would go to these rec center open fencing thing. You just show up, basically challenge somebody to practice or whatever. And there would be like these 90 year old men there who, if you see them walking in the grocery store, they're like shaking as they get a can of beans down, but you put a foil in their hands and they are, their reflexes (laughs) are lightning and they're just like, and it's like, Oh, oh, yeah. So I actually got kind of that vibe out of that duel. And I'll say this, they still had more energy than Mason the Emperor do in Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) Yeah, we're yes. going to get into Revenge of the Sith later. And Mace, oh, y'all. We are going to get into Mace later. Another episode. But uh, Colleen, what about you, your relationship with this movie? Yes, yes. Um, Daniel had mentioned in our outline, too, about the opening sequence, which is fantastic. Yes. Amazing. Captain Antilles does not get enough kudos from the fandom for this scene. He makes sure that Leia is able to get those plans off the ship. Like, well done, Captain Antilles. We love you. We wish that mm-hmm. Vader hadn't crushed you. Um, this is my second favorite for the original trilogy, mainly because it does such a great job of setting up the characters and the story. There's so many great one-liners. I mean, Harrison Ford is on fire in this movie. Carrie Fisher <laughs> is on fire in this movie. Always. Um, I was afraid of these movies, though, when I was little. My brother and I would watch them, and I like scary movies, so I would watch them. But it freaked me out. <laughs> The cantina scene at first freaked me out, even though I love it now. I just, I love spending time with the crew. Like Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher have that electric chemistry immediately, mm-hmm. which I appreciate more now that I'm older. When I was younger, I'm like, oh, <laughs> yay, these, these people are fun. And now I'm like, those people are going to go have sex later. Like For mm-hmm. sure. They look great. And I found that I also put a lot more emotions on these characters and their arcs in this movie. Like we know now that Vader was Anakin who lived on Tatooine. Vader being this near Tatooine is probably sending off all kinds of crazy dark side vibes. The Emperor is probably laughing 
back on course and he's like oh anakin's having a hissy fit over tattooing again this is great um oh that jerk you know he would he totally would he's just sitting there laughing and then of course we find out later that leia is his daughter so he is torturing his daughter but it's nice to know that leia with the force has enough fortitude to be able to resist every form of torture even vader's force mind invasion i would assume it's like no yay leia I want to talk about Leia for a second because mm. I forgot how fierce she is off the bat. Mm-hmm. I love it. She's and uh, I found out a little fact right before recording that makes me laugh even more is <laughs> we see Leia with a British accent in exactly one scene. Yeah. So when Tarkin goes to interrogate her, she's got the British accent. Yes. And in the real world, they were thinking it, like it's the first day of shooting. Let's try it. It didn't work. And they move on. Mm-hmm. But in one of the books, I forgot which one it was. They explained that she puts on the accent yes. to make fun of Tarkin. Yes. I'm like, that is amazing. Yes. That is absolutely her, amazing. Her diplomacy tactics coming through. She's such a dick. I love it. Yeah. And you can tell Tarkin too. Like she's this tiny little 19 year old girl and she is schooling Vader and Tarkin in this scene. I love Just it so amazing. much. <laughs> How about you, Anders? From us. How are you? Uh, How's your relationship kinda, with the movie now? It's kind of hard for me to say because it's it's very hard for me to separate this out as a single mm. movie. Um, it is it's my second favorite of the original trilogy. It's my fourth favorite overall mm. in the entire um, canon. And I, everything about it just has such a high regard in my mind. It does everything you were saying, Colleen. It sets things up so well, and it's got this place in the cultural zeitgeist that I just mm-hmm. I don't remember there ever being well because there really was not i've never been alive without star wars being in existence (laughs) um so i guess my relationship with the franchise has grown so much over time um and i think i have finally evolved into the star wars nerd that my family always kind of thought i was right you're like oh i liked it i always liked it but now i'm like I ride or die now for this. (laughs) yeah and and being able to connect to different properties that have come out you know, mm-hmm. um, watch Rebels. Watch and Rebels. Watch our Rebels. plug to watch Rebels. <laughs> um, but getting back into some of the things in the movie itself, I mean, I think mm-hmm. we've kind of said everything about this movie is just really cool. It's just incredible. Is there any particular favorite things you guys wanted to give a shout out to, Daniel? Um, so I want to shout out High Fighter sounds. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely iconic. That screeching sound as they go roaring past. And Vader's TIE Fighter specifically with its yeah. like slightly different sound mm-hmm. to it. Just so menacing. That was one of like the things that stood with me as a kid. I used to build Lego uh, starships of my own, <laughs> and I would make them make the Tie Fighter sound. Like it was just iconic. It's fantastic. Of course, Drama King himself has a special ship. Oh, of, of course. course. It's gotta be special. Our poor, poor Vader. Mm. Look, I... if he can't do dramatic things with his ship, then mm. what is he doing? Exactly. Nothing. If That's it doesn't have a foothold, so you can go down into a Sith <laughs> temple standing on top of it. That is one of my favorite scenes in Star Wars. It makes no oh. sense, but okay. Zero sense. So but dramatic, it's and it's so the dramatic. best. It's the best thing he. But could anyway, back, so to, back to back to New Hope. We have to stay on topic, yes, otherwise yes. we'll end up talking for um, six hours. I love the Falcon. I love its design. It looks like a traditional flying saucer, but then with some oomph. Like George saw the mock-up of. It and was like i like that let's go farther <laughs> like yes please <laughs> and i just love 
the Han Leia relationship. I love it. I know that Han or George didn't really know where he was going with their kind of storyline, but it's there. It's so there. I don't know if it would have happened if Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher hadn't had that level of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it works out really well in the end with them. I mean, especially when we will get to our next movie. But this one was yes. just like the dialogue is really good. And I know Harrison Ford likes to fiddle with the dialogue, which makes good sense because sometimes the dialogue can get a little clunky. Mm-hmm. But they do such a good job with what they're given. Everybody Harrison Ford could have pulled off great. I don't like sand. He yes. could have. He could have. <laughs> he could have. With his Absolutely. face looking like that. Yes. I mean, have. and that V cut. That V cut is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and I love Chewbacca introducing oh. the Wookiees. I mean, this is kind of an issue later with the alien designs, like the cuddly-looking aliens are the good ones, and the mm-hmm. bugs or the reptiles are the kind of evil-looking mm-hmm. ones or the bad guys. Yes. But seeing Chewbacca and knowing that there's a person in there being him was fantastic. I love Peter Mayhew. Give all the shouts to Peter Mayhew. I just love Wookiees in general. They're Mm -hmm. so fantastic. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, I mean, but if we're talking about character chemistry, I just got to give a shout out to C-3PO and R2-D2. They are (laughs) the old married couple that we all want to be when we grow up. Laurel and Hardy, for sure. They are so good. The banter back and forth. It really hit me actually on this rewatch the way that C-3PO describes R2-D2 at various points in the story, like they're in the desert and he's a scrap pile and then he might have a chance to get bought by Luke. Oh, he's he's a real bargain. He's just, he's great. He runs away. Oh yeah, he's always been a problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so if it does, he's like, oh, he excels at that, sir. I'm like, you just told him that he was an awesome troll. <laughs> What a liar. I love it. it All in the span of about six hours. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, talking about like spaceships, I'm actually going to pull a Colleen here and I'm going (laughs) to make a rebel shout out because one of the things I did notice on this rewatch, one of the ships that has been added kind of in the background in several scenes was one of those Imperial shuttles. Now Mm -hmm. we saw those a lot in Return of the Jedi, that shuttle Tidarian. Uh, that takes them mm-hmm. down to Endor. That's a Lambda class. But in Moss Eisley, we do see a few Sentinel class shuttles, which are yes. very prominently featured mm-hmm. in Rebels. And I and love those. I miss that. Yeah, I think back. he's playing with like a Lambda shuttle model too, isn't he, Luke, when he's doing his little flying? I think that's, uh, I'm not sure if that's like, a Lambda shuttle or if that's, that's Lambda, his, or if, that, or if that's his uh, T-16. Okay. That might be his T-16. Because it looks very similar to one I think of the I had a, I, had a, I think I had a friend who had one of those, mm. who had like a Model T-16 when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And it like popped open so you could put your Luke figure in and it was awesome. Sweet. <laughs> merch. <laughs> yes, the original merch. So much merch. merch. <laughs> so much merch. Mm. But uh, Daniel, you were saying though, early before we jumped on, you were saying one of your favorite aliens has actually been cut. Mm. Yes. Unfortunately, they cut him out of the special editions, which is a crime he uh colleen speaking of being uh, creeped out by the cantina scene this guy creeped me out of the cantina scene his name is uh and i'm sorry to the star wars fans i know i'm gonna mispronounce this and someone will come that's okay <laughs> uh our leal shouse shouse uh he's the red-eyed wolf man that in the regular editions uh before the special ones he's just sitting in the corner and they pan over to him and he's got these big red piercing eyes and he's like kind of in shadow but you can tell 
this man came straight out of like the 1940s Lon Chaney Jr. movies. And, I think uh, that's where it's from because yeah. I think the costume designer had to use older masks. That's amazing. In order to fill the cantina scene. So that's mm-hmm. probably why he's there and then why they cut it. I mean, but that is such bad. a shame to me because I love that wolf man. He's so cool. Mm -hmm. And then there's also, uh, if you guys have ever seen, real quick, the 2003 Clone Wars animated series, which is non-canon now. There is a Wolfman Jedi. Andy Tartakovsky one? Yes. There's Mm -hmm. a Wolfman Jedi in that, and it made me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I actually Mm -hmm. remember noticing that that guy got cut. I love all the aliens in there. Actually, if we're going to talk the Cantina, though, I got to give a shout out to the Cantina band, who... Like, everyone knows the Death Star. Everyone knows Luke, Leia, Han, Chewie. But the Cantina Band is probably the most low-key, iconic thing to come out of this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, one yes. of the most parody things. The modal notes. <laughs> everyone knows that tone that they play. Play that same song. Yes. They're the Bith. That's their the species, the Bith. They mm-hmm. look so much like just the traditional alien kind of image that we have with the giant head and the big eyes. Yes. And then they're just a hella good band. They got stuck on tattooing because one of the the it, leader it, of the band owed Jabba money. So it ev- they'd eventually stuck. get to uh, play for B. Arthur. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> that is what we all aspire to, is to play our music for B. Arthur. <laughs> they really just made the dream right there. Good for them. Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, my favorite. My favorite alien is the Trash Compactor Monster, which is a Dianonoga named Omi because she has a name. <laughs> And she's force sensitive. We find this out later, not in this movie. <laughs> okay, this is the first time I'm actually hearing about this. Why is she there? They captured her and put her down there. I think she's like a cleaner situation. I can't remember exactly from the short story because she doesn't know why she's there. She's captured, put in this trash compactor, and she's like, I'm force sensitive. What the shit is going on here? <laughs> oh, and... I feel so bad that I've slandered her name then without ever knowing that she yes. had one. She basically, at least in the short story from the book I will plug later, she is baptizing Luke because she can feel his force sensitivity. So she's like trying to make him more, his force sensitivity come out more or something. Yeah. Trying to drive it's, up the adrenaline to get the, get the juices flowing. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting, interesting short story. That's one okay, of my favorites Omi. from the book. Yeah. Right. Omi, Omi can get it. Like get after it, Omi. She's great. <laughs> I love it. I, I love her now, and I'm so sorry that I was ever mean about her. We're all mean about her. She tried to kill Luke, or at least yeah. that's what we thought was him. The tentacle monster <laughs> is trying to drown him. Mm-hmm. And she did scare me as a kid. Oh, yeah, completely. The little periscope eye shot up, and I was like, uh-huh. what is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Unacceptable. No, Things in the water, unacceptable. No. Mm-mm. All right, so moving on a little bit. What in this movie do you guys think? What is untouchable? Things that are absolutely mm. perfect, and then... You know, we've talked a lot about some of the changes, but is there anything that you guys think in this movie just on its own just doesn't really work? So I'm going to recant what I actually wrote in our script. Oh my. I, uh, I had put unbearable and unbearable in quotation marks because I love the R2-D2 3PCPO. Uh, uh, I mm-hmm. love their Tatooine adventure. Uh, I just thought it went on a little too long. And mm-hmm. then on this rewatch, I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. Yes. Uh, I think as a kid, I was always uh, a little impatient. I was like, let me get to Luke. Let me get to the story. Mm-hmm. And now as an adult, I'm watching this. And I'm like, oh, they're amazing. I just love them going back and forth. <laughs> so I had put that as my unbearable, but that is with a huge grain of salt. Um, mm-hmm. 
I mean, yeah, maybe it goes on a little too long for my taste. Um, but if that's the most unbearable thing for me in this movie, then that's a, a pretty good sign. Right. It's um, pretty much perfect. I mean, oh, it's yeah. It's a wonderful movie. Anders, how about you? So for me, I'm going to say the the opening for me is just absolutely untouchable. Everything about it, starting with the opening crawl, moving into the Star Destroyer flying overhead. I, I don't know if there's a single image in my mind that's more closely associated with a movie and with excitement, especially knowing what we know now about Rogue One and what was happening right before that. Mm-hmm. Being in the middle of the battle, seeing the stormtroopers for the first and only time have good aim. Um, <laughs> Darth Vader strutting out of that steam hallway, everything just puts you right in the middle of everything. Even the, you know, don't shoot at the pod because there's no life forms aboard. Everything flows well. And I think actually, so as I've gotten a little bit older and I consume an absolutely obscene amount of content, (laughs) movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, whatever, you know, I tell myself I'm a bit of a, I'm a film buff and I can talk intelligently about movies. The pacing in this movie is so good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't skip a beat. Everything flows really well into itself, into the next piece. It's so, so good. My one unbearable that I really just noticed on this, this last rewatch, it's not even unbearable, it, but I do want to raise the question. It's funny. It's played for laughs. Leia, love her, badass general, senator, Alderaan princess, Alderaan, a very much humanitarian aid planet fighting against injustice, fighting against speciesism, racism, part of the rebellion that is actively trying to free the Wookiees because they are enslaved on Kashyyyk. Not to diminish the trauma that she had just been through with the aforementioned torture, but would she really actually call Chewbacca a big walking carpet? (laughs) Implying that she would, in fact, have a Wookiee carpet at her house. I would sure hope not. <laughs> I'm going to believe yeah. that she wouldn't. Yeah. Um, now, I'm, I'm going to chalk it up to being 19 and in the middle of a gunfight and finding out that your rescuers are kind of dumb yeah. um, in the best way. Good Lord, this is the rescue party? <laughs> She's like, oh my God, I'm the brains of my own rescue. Um, <laughs> So I'll, I'll give her the, the pass on that because she's very nice to Chewbacca, bar not giving him a medal. Um, yeah, that's another unbearable yeah. that Chewbacca doesn't yeah. get a medal. Even he if people fight. don't like medals, like, no, give him a freaking medal. <laughs> give him a nice potted plant or something. I don't know, something that would be meaningful to him. Give, it a, give him a badge on the, the gun, yeah, gun belt. Yeah. Give him some more like charges for his bowcaster. Give some him some fun ammunition, some explosives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turn that bowcaster into like what, like a green arrow type thing? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Energy blast. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh, poor Chewy. Mm, we love you. We love you, Chewy. Um, for me, perfection is Harrison Ford basically doing anything, standing there, <laughs> talking, swaggering. He can do anything. I love him in this role. He is yes. Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about Solo later at the movie, but Harrison Ford just is ridiculously good in this movie. And he was not supposed to be cast in this role. It was almost an accident that it happened. George just liked how he acted. So he's like, oh, yeah, this guy reading the lines, he's Han Solo. Let's bring him on. Um, 
Peter Cushing is fantastic. Yes. Oh my He's god. So perfectly cast as Grand Moff Tarkin, that stringy evil vulture man. Oh, I hate He's Tarkin. so much scarier than I remember. So scary. Tarkin is terrifying. Like he's the actual villain of the story. Mm-hmm. Vader is on the quote unquote leash. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they're he outranks Vader here. They're kind of on level playing ground with the Emperor. Vader doesn't kind of... really have a rank. No. Vader exists just... outside the military yeah. structure. He just like so he's just there. Mm-hmm. And Tarkin is mm, he's he's willing to kill billions of people. The scene where he uh, says, "You know what? Give me the rebel base. We will. We won't yeah. your planet." She's mm-hmm. like, "All right, fine. It's Dantooine." And he's like, "Okay, blow up." Just so yeah. does not care, and no. it's just it's amazing. He, um, I don't know why he didn't scare me as much as a kid, but as an adult, I'm like, "Oh God, this is yeah. you're the real evil one in yes. the room." Mm-hmm. Because Vader looks scarier <laughs> mm-hmm. as a kid. You see this giant man in a black helmet and you're like well that's the one i need to be afraid of mm-hmm. and then in you, as you get older you're like oh no the genocidal maniac is actually the one i need to be afraid <laughs> yes. of. yeah he might be a bad man yeah he's a bad Possible. dude he's never been good i haven't even read the ultimately book taken yet, but... i haven't either it's on my list and ultimately mm-hmm. taken down by his arrogance yes that that moment hits a lot harder for me now as adults the, evacuate I... in a moment of triumph <laughs> You know what? I'm, I'm happy for the arrogance in that moment. Yes. I am too, especially when yes. you compare when I compare it to like a lot of moments again in other properties. Like at the first sign of trouble, General Grievous pieces out oh, on yeah. his own he's little ship. <laughs> he's always fleeing the scene, and Tarkin is just like, "Nope, this yeah, is Tarkin goes down with the ship. He yeah. does. I mean, at least he does that, I guess. But mm. no, you took also taking millions of people with you with the Death Star." Like, for real, if he had called for an evacuation order, people could have lived. <laughs> but instead, he's like, no, everything's fine. Nothing's wrong, guys. We've got this under control. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Now, while while we're talking about the Death Star blowing up, I just want to uh, circle back real quick to that Marshall Lucas documentary where they were talking about mm-hmm. adding in stuff to the ending. Mm-hmm. Originally, they were just going to have uh, the attack run on the Death Star just be an attack run that they're doing. So there's no... Death Star showing up on Yavin 4. There's no stakes, really. So it would have just been the Rebels going and doing a terrorism real quick and then peacing out. (laughs) And so I kind of like, I'm very glad that they put that in where it's like, okay, there's stakes. We really have to do this now or never. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Sorry to the millions of stormtroopers. Um, There probably weren't all bad guys. I'm worried about the personnel that don't know what's going on. I mean, Uh, that, that doesn't come up until later when we're concerned about people in the Empire. Mm-hmm. like sorry yeah. y'all but uh we did have to blow you up in that moment because yes. it was life or death yes uh-huh. yeah in this moment we were like these are the bad guys like everyone on here is a bad guy and your kid brain doesn't really calculate how many people it would take to run this thing mm-hmm. when you find out there are millions of people on board i mean there's probably a cafe runner he doesn't know what the hell is going on <laughs> he just makes the calf it's true and he gets exploded. Oh, he gets exploded. The trash compactor monster. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, he doesn't. No. I, I know. know. I didn't think of that until just now. I'm sorry, oh, he Omi. Gets Aline, why did you oh. give her a name? I didn't. <laughs> I did not that give sad her. Now. <laughs> talking oh, about though, mm. talking about the attack on the Death Star, I did notice mm-hmm. one thing that again, 
the pacing, the tension in this moment is incredible. The way that it's that the cuts are going back and forth between the base and the fighters and everything. One thing I did kind of wonder about, though, this time around, there are a couple of attack runs made. They're down in the trench. They're doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Before they start the attack runs, there's TIE fighters everywhere. We, we hear the lasers happening. Justice for Porkins. Um, <laughs> his ship malfunctions. That's not his fault. <laughs> I know. Um, but, you know, we say goodbye to Biggs. It all, it, all goes, it all goes down. While they're making the attack runs, though, every time they cut back up to the other X-Wings, they're not fighting anymore. They are literally just, like, holding back, flying around, doing nothing. So they see Vader and those two ties come in, get in the trench right behind them, gun down their friends, and, like, don't go in behind Vader and, take, and try and yeah. take him out. It takes Han coming in at the last second to do I mean, that. I guess they were just running, uh, like, blocks for everyone, but yeah. I feel like Probably. there's more efficient uh, starfighter techniques you could have used. Yeah, there's um, just not enough of them. I mean, there's only three really of weren't. them. Yeah. Compared to however many ties were on the Death Star. Probably. But it does seem that. like it's like, why weren't you helping? But I think at that point when Vader attacks, there are not very many left either. There yeah. Are. Wedge's <laughs> ship gets taken out, so he can't help. I think Verlaine, who's flying the Y Wing, is busy doing something else. So the because there's only three at the end, it's Luke Wedge and the Y Wing, yeah. who we later mm-hmm. find out is Verlaine. But there's just not enough ships and Vader's too fast. I mean, even if they took out his escort, they wouldn't have been able to take him out. Han now really we say, gets the drop on him. We say Vader's too fast, but I have noticed Vader will blow someone up and then they cut to Luke flying and they cut to Vader still like coming up yeah. and then it's like they go and then he's still coming up and then they go and then he's still coming up. Yeah. It, yeah. It reminds me, have you guys ever seen uh, the movie Kung Pao? Yes. 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 When uh, he's like running towards the village, and then they cut to everyone watching, and yeah. then they cut back, and he's still like even farther <laughs> yes. away than he was. Yes. It's like that. It's like that. Yeah. It's like a uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. If you've yes. ever yes, seen that, exactly. Lancelot running up the hill. Yes. I. The only thing I can think of with Vader is that he's distracted because he can feel this presence in the Force. That's true. But that's hindsight because we're knowing now that this is his son. It's probably some sort of weird reverberation through the forest. Plus, Obi-Wan's talking through the forest, so he can mm. probably feel that too. So he's not quite on his game once he gets down to Luke either. That's a good point because he but, does bring up, he's like, oh, this one is strong in the force. Right. And that, he probably was going through all sorts of stuff, uh, realizing what was going on. Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan disappearing is weird. Yes. Because he's that never seen weird. that. He doesn't know really about the Force ghosts. I mean, the Mortis are. Neither do we shows. at this point. Yeah, we did. Watching not. this movie for the first time, we don't know that. And that's actually something that really jumped out to me as learned more about Star Wars, the lore, everything around behind it. This initial movie, while they do talk about the Force, obviously they introduce it as a concept, mm-hmm. they don't give us that much about it. This movie oh. in particular, considering what it spawns, is very very light on details. Yes, very much. <laughs> like we very get much. what's the what's the initial um, explanation from Obi Wan? <laughs> I don't I don't <laughs> want to butcher the quote. Colleen, you probably know it better than I do. <laughs> uh, the Force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field that connects all living things. It surrounds us, penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty generic explanation of 
this thing that yeah. supposedly gives mm-hmm. you power. Superpowers. I mean, <laughs> superpowers. You know, and we don't, and again, we don't get that many of those superpowers here, considering all the things that we, if you've watched all of the films, if you've seen Clone Wars, if you've seen Rebels, if you've read some of the books, some of the things mm-hmm. that you know that it can do, we don't get that many things here. I mean. No. They have magic swords. Mm-hmm. They have they have the magic swords, but those aren't, I mean, at least in the initial explanation, those aren't force-driven. Yes, right. kyber crystals and everything about it. But I mean, in terms of actively using the force, we get the mind trick on mm-hmm. the stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And all we really get as an explanation about that is that the force can have an effect on the weak-minded. Right. It's Then Vader does this force choke, uh-huh. that initial <laughs> force choke. Giving terrifying. us a little bit of that, a little yeah, bit of that kind of telekinesis um, vibe, but not really a direct thing that this is something the Force can do. Mm-hmm. And other than that, it's basically, it's like an instinct. Using the Force is like an instinct. Yeah. You have a gut feeling about something. Yeah. With the blast Ooh, shield that. down, how am I supposed to hit anything? <laughs> and the I, I love you, Luke. Do like I do love scene. you, Luke. Oh, I love Luke. I do love the scene where he uh, has to put the helmet on and he's blocking mm-hmm. the, the bolts from the yes. uh, training drone. That is a great uh, scene. Yeah, It's just a fantastic scene with Han not believing in the Force in that moment and Luke showing his little, you know, growing inclinations of it. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And in that I mean, scene, they can... Again... dormant. It's been dormant, and they are planting seeds for things that will be used later on, like light side and dark side of the Force. Like, in that scene, mm-hmm. Obi-Wan is telling Luke, you know, you feel the Force flowing through you. Yeah. It's this thing that you kind of have to, you have to trust in the Force. Mm-hmm. That's the light side. And then on the opposite side, you have Vader, who is using it to dominate. He is actively manipulating mm-hmm. things. He is making the Force bend to his will instead mm-hmm. of surrendering to right. it you know and that's such a good dichotomy between the two because mm-hmm. you get i like because we don't know of course that vader is anakin we don't know that obi-wan has this really intense relationship with vader even though he says oh he was a pupil of mine it's like well <laughs> that could mean anything like, from a certain <laughs> point of view from a certain point of view this is everything's fine I like that they don't spell out everything right away. And I think that's one of the strengths of Star Wars because they don't give us a lot about the force. You're just supposed to immediately believe in it. But I think that that's something that would surprise a lot of fans. Like if you are Mm -hmm. a major Star Wars fan and you're deep, deep, deep into the force lore Mm -hmm. to go back and watch us and realize how little was actually there at the start and how it's, it's all implied. It's all these little seeds that they're planting. I think is just a, like you said, it's a very brilliant decision. It's a great choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good storytelling decision, especially although Props to Lucas for being like, I'm not going to tell you everything, even though I might only get one movie. <laughs> like, dang. Yeah, we get enough understanding in this movie where if that's all we got was just one Star Wars movie, okay, you understand the Force. It's a mystical thing. Yeah. And then I like that it's just, it's open that you can keep expanding. Yes. And I, I also like that like, they refer to it as a religion. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like the two ways that Obi-Wan and Darth Vader talk about it, though, because Obi-Wan puts it in these terms of how the force flows through you, these nice, like, peaceful ways. And Vader talks about its power and, like, how people should be afraid of the force. And, like, it's Mm -hmm. no match. uh, The Death Star is no match to the power of the force. 
right? Right. And then yeah. he is afraid. Vader is afraid oh, yeah. of everything, which mm-hmm. doesn't come across necessarily in this movie, but it will later on. Mm-hmm. His fear is ultimately his downfall. It's true. Which is brilliant. Like, we'll talk about this with the prequels and Anakin's development there, but the seeds were laid here for him to be afraid and for him not to be the big bad. People are like, mm-hmm. well, Vader's just a flunky. It's like, yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. He's scary looking. He's very powerful, but he doesn't have an MO. He doesn't have a reason really for doing anything except to listen to the Emperor or Tarkin here, mm-hmm. which is interesting for a villain because we're used to them being the big bad immediately. And he's right. just not. And then the one other seed they do plant here, Colleen, you mentioned it. Obi-Wan's disappearance upon death. We don't really know what's going on. We know that he is somehow more powerful than Vader could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And he does come back. He gets the voiceover later during the Death Star run, mm-hmm. which kind of plants the seed for later developments in further movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. But... Good job, intimidation, Obi-Wan. Because <laughs> <laughs> Vader's like, what? Sassy to the end. <laughs> what? Yeah, what? <laughs> I love that scene. That's a great. Oh, man. Before we move on to the recommendations, so I do have to bring up, this was my unbearable, was Luke's reaction. Luke's reactions for a lot of things are a little skewed <laughs> awkwardly. Like his reaction to his aunt and uncle dying. He sees uh-huh. their literal skeletons burning up on the Tatooine desert. Horrifying. And that was a horrifying does, scene as a child. It was, yeah, that terrified me. That is mm-hmm. the scariest thing I have seen. And besides when we get to the Rancor eating people in Return of the Jedi, who also has a name and is a girl. We'll get to that in Return of the Jedi. Aww. But these burned up corpses is terrifying. And yet Luke's reaction to their death is way more subdued than his reaction when Obi-Wan dies. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, you've known him as crazy old Ben living out in the desert for True, your but entire he's life. experienced but... a lot more. I mean, if we're talking about, quote unquote, getting something out of life, he's experienced a lot more with Obi-Wan in the last few days. <laughs> I mean, I am in no way slandering Ben and Baru. Do they were doing their job. They were Baru. doing their job. She's a great mom. She was a I fantastic. Mean, she was a great mom, but they kept mom. him. I mean, all he really knew was the day, the day life on the farm. Yes. And he and was Owen, knowing Owen that he was meant for was something afraid. greater. Exactly. I'm not yeah. blaming them for that. But Luke had a much more intense life experience over the span of a few days than he probably did in his entire life on Tatooine. I mean, still, though, 19 years with your aunt and uncle, you'd hope they'd have a little bit more of a reaction than, oh, we're going to Mos Eisley, we're getting out of here? Okay. Yeah. If he had fallen say... to his knees, like, all he had to do was fall to his knees. Fair. Definitely And I would have been like, okay, here we go. And then He's, it would have been perfect. I would actually it would have say, been like poetry. It would have rhymed with episode two. His, uh, but his, um, he does kind of have a mindset towards getting vengeance. It's not spelled out in any means, but he's he like gets that steely look in his yeah. eye. And he's like, I want to go with you. I want to yeah. learn how to be a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Let's get mm-hmm. these. Let's get these guys. Planting the little seeds of possibly uh, how uh, his future could go if he doesn't do things Potentially. Right. Mm-hmm. so i think that is it to wrap up our discussion on this movie you guys have any last thoughts mm. um Just no other than so good. the music yeah, i mean we so should good. shout out john oh williams absolutely we have to shout out john williams the score those are god that he is yes 
the score is just score. fantastic. That binary sunset. Oh, uh, the binary sunset. Yeah. Luke yes. just standing there is it's perfection. Absolute. Perfection. We mentioned the uh, the medal ceremony earlier. We actually yeah. at my high school. Um, the exit song from graduation was the scene was the was the score from that scene. <laughs> like they did oh, the traditional graduation while coming in, but it was it was the it was the Star Wars theme on your way out. I'm here oh, for that. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so here for that. <laughs> I would have been living. We tried to push them to change it to the Imperial March, but they wouldn't let us. <laughs> Which we don't get here. We don't. We do not get that yet. John Williams has yet to cook that bad boy up. Mm-hmm. We will get to that soon, though. All right. So lastly, today, we have a few recommendations for you guys. These are stories both in Star Wars canon and outside of it that if you like this initial Star Wars movie, we think you'll enjoy. Uh, I'm going to kick us off by plugging one of my favorite young adult book series. It's called The Lost Years of Merlin by T.A. Barron. Uh, It is a series that shows the quote-unquote lost teenage years of the wizard Merlin and his adventures on the magical island of I've never actually been sure if it's Finkaira or Finkaira, um, but it all takes place before he becomes a part of that Arthurian legend. It draws heavily from Celtic mythology and tells the story of a young boy who discovers his great power and his great destiny. Merlin, in this sense, he acts as a really, really good Luke parallel, um, even more so as the story evolves, but no spoilers. And I'm pretty sure this is one of those like book series that the rights got snatched up at some point to make mm-hmm. a movie or something. And it's been in developmental hell for like 10 years, oh. Netflix or Disney plus or whoever owns it, get up off your tails and make this <laughs> a series. It is perfect for it. And then the one other thing I will absolutely plug. So my big COVID discovery has been Lego content. And so oh, I'm yes. going to plug Lego star Wars, the Freemaker adventures. It is a show. It's available on Disney+. Plus. There's two seasons of it. I think you can find most of it on YouTube as well. It's a really nice little story about a young boy and his siblings and his kind of parallel journey through most of the original trilogy, um, discovering his Force sensitivity and his special connection with the Kyber Crystals. Also, Lego Emperor is the funniest character ever. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Lego Palpatine is the best literally the best as a fan of lego star wars the video games i'll uh, i'll have to jump into that then oh my god it's so good his treatment of vader is like robot chicken plus <laughs> yeah oh that's it's robot chicken combined with the office it's great yeah so good oh man all right daniel how about you so uh, I have two. The first one I'm going to be real quick on because the second one I'm much more excited about right now. Uh, so The Inheritance Cycle is a book series by Christopher Paolini. Uh, he, re- he started it when he was like 15 years old, published it when he was like 17. Yep. Um, so the writing gets better as he goes on because, you know, obviously he grew as he was writing these. Um, it is basically Star Wars in fantasy form. You've got a young boy who finds a dragon egg and uh, it just it leads him into this magical world. He's got this older mysterious mentor who takes him along the road um there's a princess at some point that he uh ends up meeting up with so i don't want to say too much but it's a four uh four book series uh i I really enjoyed those i read those when i was in high school and i've got them sitting on my bookshelf i might start a reread soon actually um but the second one i wanted to talk about is my absolute favorite video game series it's called mass effect um it's amazing it's a science fiction series set in the late 2100s so humanity at this point has been part of the galaxy for about 26 years 
and they're trying to prove their worth. And you play as this uh, person named Commander Shepard. You find this artifact that's telling you about this ancient doom coming from outside the galaxy, and nobody believes you. And you're trying to prove this across the series. Uh, it is fantastic. It's everything you want in sci-fi. There's amazing alien races. You get to go to all these amazing planets. There's these epic moments. It is um, also choose your own adventure type thing. You make decisions that affect the outcomes of the game. Um, it's fantastic. And it is getting a remaster. Um, the first game is 15 years old. And they are finally remastering it in 4K. And it's coming out on May 14th, my birthday, which is just Whoa. a, it's the best. Forces. <laughs> I am nice. so excited. <laughs> It, it was the That's perfect so awesome. timing. It's yeah, it's probably my favorite sci-fi outside of Star Wars. Mm. So yeah, it's fantastic. That's awesome. So Shepard is basically Thrawn. <laughs> oh, you know what? If you want to be, because you can be either a paragon or a renegade, as they call it. So you can make if you want to be the upstanding citizen in the galaxy, or do you want to be kind of a warlord going across? So you can do whatever you want. Yes. People need to listen to Thrawn. There is an extra galactic threat coming and nobody mm -hmm. listens to him and that's fine. We'll get to mm -hmm. that at some point. <laughs> um, I'm the resident uh, Star Wars book pusher for this pod. And uh, there's a, a lot of books that would complement this movie really well. Lost Stars, which I'm going to talk about in later pods because it covers a lot of the movies. For this one though, definitely check out The Princess Diarist, which was written by Carrie Fisher it's hysterical. She is so funny, so astute about her experiences. And a lot of it is about her filming this movie and her relationship with Harrison Ford, <laughs> mm -hmm. who was older than her and married. Yeah. But that's fine. And he has not refuted the, the book. So, yes. Yes. She was much younger, but kind of played off her because it was the 70s she played off the sexuality of herself mm -hmm. as being much more experienced and they actually have a really cool relationship coming out of these movies like they're actually really good friends and mm -hmm. her and mark hamill are really good friends oh i love that and it's such a it's such a good book she just is not afraid to tear herself down mm -hmm. oh she never and also be never like was. i'm a badass though too like i may be a drug user i may be into alcohol I mean, I have my problems, but I'm still a badass. And it just goes so well with the Leia character from this movie. I love that book. Everybody read that book. And then we talked a little bit about this earlier. It is the short story collection from a certain point of view, mm -hmm. which comes from an Obi-Wan line later. It's about minor characters from this movie. So this is why I know that the trash compactor monster has a name. Chalman's Cantina gets a ton of cute side stories which are Fun. great. The best ones, though, are from Brea and Bail Organa's <laughs> POVs when <laughs> freaking Alderaan is destroyed. It is oh devastating. Oh, yeah. I, I read that story and was... I don't know if I could handle that. <laughs> they, because they don't know if she's alive. They don't know if Leia survived. Oh, so that's sad. It's really sad. They didn't survive. No, I mean, while their planet is being blown up, they're like, where's Leia? Is she dead? Oh, especially mm -hmm. with the uh, like... Bale scene in Rogue One. Mm -hmm. oh, that, yeah. oh, that hits. Yes, it is so, so compelling. And then all of the stories from the Rebel Assault on the Death Star are amazing. One of them details kind of um, all the pilots that are involved. 
in the Death Star run. It gives them like their kill counts, how good of pilots they are. And they are amazing. Like all these pilots are so good. And the ones that come out of it are the rookies kind of with Wedge and Luke. And yes, I would definitely recommend that short story collection for sure. And just before we go, I do want to recommend, I will always recommend that you check out the novelization of the film that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, every single Star Wars film has a novel. The one for the original is written by George Lucas as well. Um, the novels of the films are always really cool to dive into because you can see like some of the changes that they make to put things on screen. They make some serious cuts in later <laughs> later ones or, or some slight tweaks in logic that might have actually made more sense if you stuck with what you wrote in the book but mm-hmm. whatever this one is a really good it's a really good read i love reading star wars books they during the summertime because they're great beach reads mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. they're quick and they just give you a little bit more detail than you might have gotten on the movie Mm-hmm. But that is where we will leave it today. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, some other platform that I haven't heard of yet. Hit that subscribe button. Smash it. <laughs> yeah. You can find us on the web at ForgottenEntertainment.com. And while you're there, check out all the offerings from the Forgotten Entertainment family. Uh, you can also find Colleen and I on Bohemian Geek Studies podcast, where we are currently diving into Star Wars Rebels. Watch Rebels. Watch Rebels. <laughs> Woo. Tune in again next time when we will get into Star Wars Episode Five: mm-hmm. The Empire Strikes Back. Ooh, Cannot wait. Star Wars movie. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs>